I hope you like the new glasses. I can now see what I'm reading, but I can't see you. I thought they looked like sort of Clark Kent, Superman. My dad said I looked like Ronnie Corbett. As I was, uh, as I was preparing for this morning's uh, service, uh, I came to a slightly unnerving realisation that uh, this is my penultimate sermon at St Paul's. Where, where did those four years go? And, uh, and so this morning I want to tell you something which perhaps I should have told you on the first Sunday I was here. And we'll come to that, but I need to tell you it. It's not a confession. <laughs> Today is Pentecost Sunday. I wonder if, if anyone knows what the word Pentecost means. Does anyone know what the word Pentecost means? 50, yeah, 50th. Because it's 50 days after Easter Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection. And on that first Pentecost is when this promise of Jesus was fulfilled. Jesus said, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Because that first Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, is when the Christian church was really born. We're celebrating, if you like, the birth of the church. But rather than look at the usual passage for today, which is in Acts chapter 2, which tells of the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost, and we will come back to that before the end of the morning, I want us to turn, please, to John chapter 3. And if you've got the Bible in front of you, uh, if you could follow along with this, uh, that would be helpful. It's on page 1065. And Richard's going to come and read to us about this encounter between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. But let's pray first that as we hear the word of God, that God would speak to each of us through this passage. Father God, would you give us ears to hear, but more than that, would you give us hearts to understand? As we have been praying throughout this week, as we've been praying, thy kingdom come, as we have been praying for a, a mighty renewal of your church, we pray, Lord God, that as we hear this word and as we engage with it this morning, that you would bring that revival in this church, in our own lives, in this nation and throughout the world, that people would turn to you. So, Lord, help us to hear your voice as you speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Richard. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, 
I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Richard. What a fascinating account between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. And I wanted to uh, focus in, really, on, on four aspects of this story. First of all, who is this chap, Nicodemus? Why does he come to Jesus? What is it, what's his motivation? What does Jesus say to him? And then finally, how does Jesus respond, if, if indeed he does respond? So let me introduce you to Nick. And at least 50% of the congregation have just re-engaged. <laughs> I would suggest that perhaps if he were alive today, he might look a bit like this. What do we know? Well, we know that Nicodemus was very, very influential. Chapter 3, verse 1 says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. The Greek literally says, a ruler amongst the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the elite uh, religious and legal authority in Israel. I guess equivalent to a member of the House of Lords in this country, although, of course, they're not the highest legal authority in this land, are they, at the moment? So he was influential. 
He was also extremely wealthy. He was uh, part of the highest echelons of Jewish society. If we step out of the Bible and look at other uh, Jewish historical texts of the time, they tell us that there was a very, very wealthy family whose name was Nicodemus. So when people heard his name, they would be impressed. They would know the name of Nicodemus. Today, perhaps his surname might be Rothschild or Rockefeller. So he was influential, he was wealthy. He was also very sincere. Verse 2 says that he comes at night. And there are lots of uh, sermons, lots of preachers, lots of commentaries which will suggest that he comes uh, under cover of darkness because he doesn't want to be seen. And maybe there's something in that, but I don't think that Nicodemus was a coward. I don't think he was coming under cover of darkness because he didn't want anyone to see him. That's not how this guy operates. This chap, this chap is used to having his own way. He's used to having uh, the undivided attention of people. And so I believe that he comes at night because he doesn't want to share that encounter with anyone else. He just wants a one-on-one, face-to-face audience with Jesus. And he addresses him as rabbi, a term of great respect. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. He's very sincere and very respectful. And then finally, we know that he was very religious. We know in verse 1 it says that he was a man of the Pharisees. They were a group of people who were trying desperately hard to please God. They took the Ten Commandments very seriously and they spent their time writing libraries on what you could and couldn't do in order to fulfill the Ten Commandments. And in verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. The Greek is literally the teacher. And so if we were watching uh, Question Time 2,000 years ago, the religious authority that they would have asked to come and speak would be Nicodemus. He was very religious. So in many ways, Nicodemus is a lot like some of you. Some of you are people of influence. When you talk, people listen. Because of where we live and by comparison with the rest of the world, most of us here are wealthy. I guess that most of you are pretty sincere about your faith. Otherwise, you'd probably be doing something else this morning. And some of you are pretty religious. We like things to be the way they should be. So we have a lot in common with Nicodemus. And that's a good reason for looking at his story. But if he's got all of this going on in his life, why does he come to Jesus? What else could he possibly need? What intrigues this got-it-together kind of guy to come to Jesus? Well, I would suggest he comes not because of what Jesus is saying, but because of what Jesus is doing. We will look at what Jesus says, but he comes because of what Jesus is doing. Look at these two passages. At the end of chapter 2, we read, Many people saw the miraculous signs that he, Jesus, was doing and believed in his name. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus comes at night and says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's what Jesus is doing which is very attractive. 
Bill Hybels, who's the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, one of the largest churches in North America, says this, People today do not ask initially, is Christianity true? People ask, first of all, does it work? Does it change people's lives? People are not interested in whether your philosophy or my philosophy of life is better than theirs. They want to know if it works. Does it change things? They're asking, is what I see going on in that person's life impressive to me or attractive to me or exciting? Do you know what people quite often say to me after they've visited St Paul's for the first time? They say, I've never felt such a sense of welcome that I felt in that church. I've never felt so so at home. Praise God for that. Praise God that that's what people experience when they come here. People say, when we bring our children, we, we feel safe. We feel that, that they're, they're in good hands. Imagine what the community around us thinks when they see us raising money, quite a lot of money, for a group of Iranian refugee families in Stockton. Or when they receive an incredible hamper of food at Christmas. Or when someone is picking up a young guy covered in sick on the streets on a Friday night and just loving that person. People are watching what we do and they're more interested in that first than what we say or what we believe. Does your life, does my life look so radically different to other people's that they are attracted to follow the Christ that we believe in? I know that I can say without a shadow of a doubt that Christianity works because I know that in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, my life is radically different now to where it would have been had I not encountered him. I wonder if your life needs an injection of that purpose, that meaning, that hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. I have a favourite author, a chap called Tony Campolo, who is an American preacher, and he tells a story of... uh, being invited to go along to a church and to preach one evening, uh, and then he was going to stay over in a hotel. Uh, And he decided to go for a drink that evening, found himself in a bar, and uh, as he was sitting down, he realised that quite a lot of the young women around him were probably prostitutes. And so uh, he asked the barman, you know, these are are sort of the, am I I in the red light district? And the guy said, well, yeah, you are actually. And he said... um, Okay, right. This is a bit awkward. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a church leader, and he said, "Oh, right, okay." Anyway, he heard that he heard that it was one of these girls' birthdays the next evening. So Tony Campolo went out and bought a great big chocolate cake, took it back to the bar, said to the barman, "Can you give this to this girl tomorrow evening when she comes in?" So anyway, two nights later, Tony Campolo comes back to the bar, and he said, "So how did it go?" The barman said, "We had a fantastic evening." There was tears, there was laughter. She could not believe that someone she'd never met would buy her a birthday cake. She, she was over the moon. No one had ever shown her that love before. And he said, and you said you're a pastor of a church. He said, well, you know, what kind of church do you go to? 
And he said, I go to a church that buys birthday cakes for prostitutes. And the guy laughed and said, you're pulling my leg now. If there was a church like that, I'd go. If there was a church like that, people would come. When they see us treating people with love and compassion, it's deeply attractive. Jesus went about doing good, showing people practical love. Nicodemus comes because he sees that what Jesus is doing transforms people's lives. People in the 21st century don't ask initially, is it true? They ask, does it work? So what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Well, he's very, very straight. He's not pulling any punches. He says, and Richard emphasises brilliantly, three times, I tell you the truth. This is true. In Hebrew, the expression is truly, truly. When you put those two words together, it's truth. The old King James Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Jesus is effectively grabbing Nicodemus by the collars and saying, Listen, buddy, I can't be any more clear with you. What I am telling you is the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So question, are you born again? It's such a shame, isn't it, that that expression has become a derogatory term. Oh, he's one of those wacky born-again Christians. But the reality is it's a command of Christ. You must be born again. And I would suggest that there is no other kind of true Christian other than the born-again variety. What does it mean to be born again? Well, that word again can be translated in three ways. It can be translated again, all over again, if you like, a second time. Or it can be translated anew, something different, fresh. Or it can be translated from above. We need to be born again, anew, afresh, from above. And Nicodemus is just so practical. You know, I think he's, he's a real bloke's bloke in lots of ways because he just, you know, he, he just is so straight to the point. And he says, what, what are you talking about? How can someone be born again? You know, you can't, you can't re-enter into your mother's womb. And he's just so sincere, isn't he? He wants to understand. And Jesus says, but you're Israel's teacher. Literally, the teacher. And yet Jesus says, but you don't get this. He's saying, if you religious people, if you church folks don't get this, how's anyone out there going to get it? If we are not born again, how are we going to encourage them to be born again? So the question surely that follows is how can we be born again? Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us that we have to do two things. We have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And people would say, oh, well, that's about baptism. It's not about baptism. It's about because the sentence goes on. There's a parallel. Born of the water connected to the flesh. Let's have a look here. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. 
a mother gives birth to a baby, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So we have to, the, the spiritual birth is as important as the physical birth. It's a spiritual rebirth which transforms us from the state of being perishing. And we don't use that expression very often, do we? But what, what does it mean to have a hot water bottle in your bed that's perishing? It ain't any good anymore, is it? It is no longer fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. And that's the state that Jesus says we are in before we are born again. We are perishing. And yet he says when we are born again, we go into the state of having eternal life. This is what Pentecost celebrates. This is what the birth of the church is all about. Those early disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they were literally born again. They had the ability to speak in languages that they could understand one another and understand God in. And so we're left wondering, what about Nicodemus? How does he respond? Does he respond? Does he leave rejoicing or does he leave confused? Well, the passage ends and there's no apparent response from Nicodemus. But sometime later, and just a few pages on, and you might want to turn to this, John chapter 7, and verses 50 and 51. The Jewish leaders are already plotting to arrest Jesus. But amongst them, amongst these Jewish leaders, is one of their own who puts his neck on the line for Jesus and says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And the man from whom those words of mercy come is Nicodemus. The former man of the law is now demanding compassion for Jesus. And then flick on another few pages to the end of the chapter, John chapter 19. Verses 38 and 39, after the crucifixion of Jesus, two men come to ask Pontius Pilate if they can take Jesus' battered and bloody body down from the cross so that instead of his body ending up on a, on a scrap heap, on a rubbish pile, he would be given a proper burial. One of those men we read is Joseph of Arimathea and the, ta- the text says that he was a disciple of Jesus a follower, one who'd already committed his life to Christ. The other man, who uses his immense wealth to provide 75 pounds in weight of the most expensive spices to anoint Jesus' body, is Nicodemus. I would suggest to you that although the Bible doesn't tell us how Nicodemus responded to that late night encounter with Jesus Christ, his actions make it very clear. He has been born again. He's been born of the Spirit. How can we be so certain? Because the fruit of the Spirit, the outworking of the Spirit's power in his life, is becoming more and more evident. He is becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient. He's becoming kinder. He's being filled with goodness and faithfulness and gentleness 
and self-control. I guess that you can see where this sermon is going. Jesus says to Nicodemus and he says to each one of us, you must be born again if you want to experience the kingdom of God you must be born again. So have you been born again? Maybe you're unsure. Let me put it this way. I, I would imagine that none of us here can remember our own physical birth. We were there, but we can't remember it. Likewise, you might not remember a time when you were born again. It might have been something that's happening slowly and gently, that's been building, or perhaps there was a time when you know that's when I received the Spirit of God. But it doesn't matter whether you can remember or pinpoint an occasion. What matters is that the fruit of the Spirit is becoming more and more evident in your life. So ask someone. If you're married, ask a spouse. They will be able to tell you very quickly. If you have a good friend, ask them. If you have a work colleague, say, do you know, am I a kinder person than I was six months ago? You may not even have to ask because people will have have recognised that something has changed in your life because the Spirit of God is bringing you new birth. What about if you're unsure, you just don't know? Well, it's very, very straightforward. We just have to ask God to forgive us. Just bring before him the fact that we've tried to lead our lives without him and say sorry and his promise is that he will forgive us. And then ask him to equip you with that sustaining and equipping spirit which will bring you alive. I can't put it any other way but I know that before I received the spirit of God I was dead. And now I'm alive, alive in Christ. And many, many of you have experienced that and would give all the glory and honour to God for that. So the band are going to come back up and just play very quietly. And I would like to encourage you to pray. So ask God to fill you with his spirit. And if for you that's something you've never asked before, What a more perfect day could there be than Pentecost Sunday, the day of the birth of the church, to ask that he would come and birth you anew, that he would come and fill you afresh with his spirit. And if you're confident that you already have the spirit of God living in you, remember that we are leaky vessels and we need to be refilled over and over again. So I would encourage us, let's, let's stand together if we're able to. And if you know that you've never been filled with the Spirit of God before, would you come to the front and let us pray with you? I'm going to just ask if there's anyone that's willing to come and pray. Perhaps they just come forward and pray with those who are going to come forward. And you know, don't be embarrassed if you've never received the gift of the Spirit before. Because this morning, if that's what you want to receive, we will rejoice with you as you receive that life-giving gift. So I'm going to stop talking right now. 
And if you want to receive that for the first time or afresh, please come forward now.
you sensing that God is uh, moving in your life? Maybe you've been sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't think I have the confidence to come forward. Actually, there's something about having the faith to leave your seat and come and receive prayer. So if you sense that God is working, do you please uh, come and receive that filling of the Spirit? Jesus, we thank you that you are alive 
that you have poured out your spirit to equip your church. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask again that you would give us the confidence to live the lives that you have set aside for us. That as people see us and see our relationship with you, they too would be drawn into that loving relationship with the living God. And that your church throughout the land would be renewed and revived. For we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.